society has some very strong opinions about marriage. All of us do. We've all got really strong feelings about marriage. A couple of weeks ago, I read a definition of marriage. It just said, marriage, annoying that one person for the rest of your life. (laughs) I've also read that if you are wrong and you keep it to yourself, it means you're wise. If you are right and you keep it to yourself, it means you're married, right? Um, What's some other stuff I've seen? Love is blind, It takes marriage to really open your eyes. I've also, that's not funny. (laughs) I've also read this week, somebody was saying, it might have been Jerry Seinfeld. I can't remember now. He said, um, marriage isn't hard. 90% of marriage is just yelling, what? From the other room. That's, that's. Sometimes my experience, I believe. But for, uh, for several Sundays in here, we're going to be talking about our family matters. And next Sunday, we're going to be talking about sex. We are. Because we need to. And we're in church. We are a church. And this is the safest place and the best place to talk about it. So we're going to talk about that together next week. Then we're going to talk about parenting. We're going to talk about divorce. We're going to talk about old age together in here as a church. Today we're going to talk about marriage. But let me preface the lesson by saying, don't think that this lesson is not for you if you're not married. Just because you're single doesn't mean that, uh, that you don't need to listen and pay attention to what we're saying together today. Because we are a family together right? We are called by our God to live and to worship and to serve together as a family. That's why when the Bible talks about family matters, it doesn't just address families, it addresses the whole church. My marriage is your business, okay? Your marriage matters to me and to the overall health of our church, and so it's important And if you're single, let me tell you, the things that you deal with, the things that you struggle with, the things that you celebrate as a single are not just your issues. Those are my issues too. Those things belong to us together as a family. Now, these kinds of things are not always super easy to talk about in church. One of the reasons is because so many of you are related to other people in this room. That's one of the unique things about GCR. A lot of you have extended and immediate blood relatives in this church. I bet there's 200 of you right now who could pick up a rock and throw it across the room and hit a relative in the head. Some of you might want to. I understand. We're uh, we're not passing out rocks this morning, okay? But it's also hard to talk about these things because we live in a time and a place where our culture openly celebrates sexual promiscuity and promotes gender fluidity and condones divorce and mocks our marriages in every other conceivable way. And as a result, most people are not getting married anymore. And the ones who do get married, they're spending much more time and energy on the wedding ceremony than they are the marriage themselves. Husbands and wives are expressing more dissatisfaction. Married couples are reporting increased levels of disappointment and regret. And church, the problem with our marriages is that we're not viewing them through the lens of the cross. We need to crucify our marriages. The Bible articulates a different vision of marriage than what the world shows us. 
Our God, as the creator of marriage, calls us to something bigger and something more. And it's a mystery. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to look at, we're going to spend most of our time here, Ephesians 5, and we're going to look at the, uh, the last few verses of this chapter. I'm going to start reading in verse 21. This is very familiar, uh, and so this is, this is going to sound uh, familiar to you when we read it. Now, Ephesians is a letter, right? This is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the whole church in Ephesus. And this morning, we're reading it as the whole church at Golf Course Road. Uh, Road. Verse 21. This is the word of the Lord. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Amen. Okay, this whole thing is really confusing, isn't it? Because you read this passage, and and is he talking about marriage, or is he talking about Christ and the church? He goes back and forth so many times in these few verses, it's hard to tell. He changes uh, the context a couple of times, even in mid-sentence, right? And so the question is, is this mystery Paul's talking about, is it about marriage or is it about Christ and the church? The answer is yes. This is about both. The two things are so similar. The two things are based on the exact same principles, and that's the point Paul's trying to make. And so let's let's break this down in a couple of ways, okay? Number one, let, let's 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 Get this on the table. God's mystery is about salvation. All of Ephesians, okay, this whole letter is one unfolding argument about what the Bible calls the mystery of Christ or the mystery of God, God's mystery. If you'll go back, probably just a page, go back to the very first lines in the very opening chapter of Ephesians. Paul says God's revealing something here. Something monumental, something that's been hidden from all the previous generations. Now this huge important thing is being revealed to us in Jesus. This this mystery, right? Verse 9, God made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment. This mystery of God's will, what God is planning for all of the universe, this, this thing that he's doing in Jesus, this huge 
huge, eternal, mind-blowing thing. Here it is right here. To bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. That's the mystery. That's what God's doing in Jesus, bringing all things together in Christ. Church, that is the goal of our salvation in Jesus. All of us back together in righteous relationship with God and with one another. In chapter 3 of Ephesians, the Bible says this mystery is going to be revealed, it's going to be explained in the makeup and the mission of the church. Verse 6, this mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. Jews and Gentiles, two people who couldn't be more different, together now in Jesus Belonging to one body together in Christ. Go back a couple of pages to uh, the end of Galatians chapter 3. You know this passage too, beginning in verse 26. You are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. And so there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. Why? For you are all one in Christ Jesus. That is so glorious. That picture that Paul paints is so beautiful. It's so inspiring, right? Our God wants so badly to live in perfect relationship with us. He loves us so much that he promises to unite us with him, to bring all of us together through his crucified and risen son. Church, that is our salvation. Not just that our sins are forgiven, although that is a huge part of it, amen? Not just that we're going to heaven when we die, although that's a very important part of the plan, amen? More than that, the mystery is that God is fixing the unity that sin has wrecked. By his love and by his promises, God has destroyed all the things that come between us and the Lord and between us and each other. All of us, equally together. I've heard it said that a woman needs a man like a fish needs a bicycle. No, that is not true. And women are never, ever to be seen as somehow lower on the depth chart. You hear me, church? Women are not the assistant to the regional manager, okay? This is all of us equally together in Jesus, male and female, Jew and Gentile, rich and poor, rangers and astros, right? Black and white, young and old, all of us together equally forgiven by the blood of Christ, equally gifted by God's Holy Spirit, equally united together by the glorious love of our gracious God. Amen. That's the mystery. The mystery is salvation, being one in Christ, one with each other. That's the gospel, and marriage represents that gospel. I'm telling you right now, most sermons you've heard about marriage are about how to have a happier and healthier relationship, and I'm all for happy and healthy marriages. That's better than sad and sick marriages, right? And we've got plenty of those for sure. God wants our marriages to be happy and healthy. He invented marriage 
to be happy and to be healthy. But there's so much more going on here. It's so much bigger than that. Our marriages represent his salvation. What happens between a man and a husband in marriage is kind of like what happens between Jesus and his people at the cross. Go back to verse uh, 25 in Ephesians 5. We'll spend the rest of our time there, I think. Let me read that again. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy. The wedding industry in this country, it's blowing up. I mean, it's, it's getting bigger and bigger, and they're generating more and more millions of dollars with weddings. And the cultural norms that are associated with weddings today, they're not like what they used to be. The wedding proposals now are more dramatic and more uh, elaborate than our wedding ceremonies used to be. The proposal now is not some guy with a ring getting down on one knee. Have you know, you've picked up on this, right? The wedding proposals now, they're these choreographed affairs at a special location. And we've got family and friends hiding in the bushes and they're going to jump out, you know, to, to surprise the bride elect with a big party. And you got photographers and videographers and a DJ, like you've got the whole thing now just for the proposal. And the weddings are over the top now. The church is out, right? The wedding venue, that's in. And for the classes who can afford it, now we're seeing more and more of these destination weddings where the family and the friends are expected to travel to some exotic location to have this perfectly photographical wedding. There's too much tension. There's too much stress. A lot of preachers, and I'm one of them, You'll hear preachers say they'd rather do 12 funerals to one wedding. I'm one of those guys. There's just too much there, too much stress, too much tension. You know, you, uh, you, you got to plan a funeral. You've got like two, three, four days max. But when you start working on a wedding, that bride has been thinking about her wedding and planning her wedding and Pinteresting her wedding since she was eight years old with her mom. It's too much stress. Too much tension, decorations and dresses and locations and what are we going to serve and what songs are we going to play when and how many bridesmaids and how many grooms and when are we going to play the music and what's the weather and where are we going to stand and don't forget your lines. No. All I'm saying is this. I've never once had a dead guy complain to me after his funeral. It's never happened. It's never happened. But if something goes wrong at the wedding or it doesn't look exactly right, or it doesn't feel exactly right, then this one perfect day that's going to somehow set the course for your one perfect life, all of that's ruined, and it's too much. And this idealized view of the wedding can lead to an idealized view of marriage. And it's not just an issue for married people. Some people are called by God to live a life apart from marriage, and this can become an issue for them too. Because when they buy into this idealized view of the wedding, they can struggle with envy, they can struggle with resentment, because they get the idea that finding the perfect soulmate or finding that one is the only key to true forever happiness and contentment. But if marriage is what the Bible says it is, then church, marriage is not about self-actualization, it's not about your identity. It's not what completes you or makes you whole. It is certainly not where you find your value or your purpose. If you see your marriage that way, I've got news for you. You're going to be disappointed. 
Marriage is about the gospel. It's not about meeting your needs. It's not about realizing your potential. It's not about elevating your status or somehow contributing to your social standing. Marriage is designed by God so you move your energies away from yourself and toward your spouse. That's where you find happiness and contentment. So if we're going to keep breaking this down, let's go here. Marriage embodies God's sacrificial love. Verse 25, again, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through his word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it just as Christ does the church. Brothers and sisters, that's marriage. You're not looking for the perfect mate to save you. You're not looking for the perfect spouse to help you reach your goals. You're committing together to serve the other. My spouse is not responsible for helping me live up to my potential. We work together to reflect the love of Christ. There is no perfect soulmate, okay? That doesn't even exist. There's no such thing. You cannot be completed by another human. We're only made whole. We're only saved by the sacrificial love of God in Christ. And that happens at the cross. We need to crucify our marriages. You know, when I do a wedding, I don't let the couples write their own vows because they don't know what to say. They don't have a clue. You know, they can talk about how much they love each other. They can talk about how much they're looking forward to spending the rest of their lives together. But the purpose of the solemn vows is not your feelings. That's why we don't ask the, 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 the groom and the bride at the weddings, how are you feeling? How are you feeling? How am I feeling? Man, my hands are shaking, my knees are knocking, I'm nauseated, I'm about to throw up. That's how I'm feeling. That's why we don't ask them that. We don't ask, how are you feeling? What's the question we ask? Do you promise? Do you vow today? The vows you make are about your promise. It's about your commitment in the face of the unpredictable and sometimes the unimaginable. I think it would be really, I was going to say helpful. It would be interesting. may not be helpful. It would be interesting if on your wedding day, right before your wedding, somebody from the future showed up right before the wedding started and said, hey, just thought you might like to know that in 30 years, you're going to have to take care of your wife through her surgery and chemotherapy. Just thought you needed to know what you're signing up for. Hey, just thought you'd like to know... Here on your wedding day, you're going to be promising uh, to take care of each other and stay together because 15 years from now, your house is going to be foreclosed because you're going to make some really bad financial decisions. That never happens, right? We don't know these kinds of things when we get married. What if somebody from the future came back right before you said, I do, and said, uh, your life savings, you're not going to spend them on your retirement. You're not going to spend them on cruises around the world. You're going to spend all of your life savings on your son's drug rehab. That's what we sign up for when we sign up to get married because it reflects the gospel. It reflects God's sacrificial love. 
You don't know any of this stuff on your wedding day. So what you're promising is, no matter what happens, I'm with her. I'm with him. No matter what. The ceremony is a covenant act. A wedding ceremony is not a party for the couple. And the people gathered are not an audience. Church, they're witnesses. They are witnesses, and the witnesses are a sign that, hey, the church of God is here in the room with you today, and we're going to witness this, and we're going to hold you accountable to the solemn vows that you're making before God and his people. The most important thing about your wedding is not what makes it different from everybody else's. It's what makes it the same as everybody else's. Marriage is not just about the couple. It's about the gospel. Sacrificial love and faithful promises. Marriage proclaims God's faithful promises. Listen to verse 32 again. For this reason, because marriage is about the gospel, for this reason, here's why you do this. A man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. Faithful promises. Several years ago, a good friend of mine sent me a video clip of a preacher on TV, answering questions his congregation had sent in by email or text. So he's answering these questions. He's on TV. It's like during a church service. Friend sends me this clip. One guy sent in his dilemma to his preacher. He says, my wife has Alzheimer's, dementia, and she's progressed to the point where she doesn't know me. She doesn't know herself. She doesn't know our kids. She doesn't really know much at all. And I'd like to date other women. I'd like for you to tell me if it's okay for me to date other women. Well, that seems like a really easy one, you know. Thou shalt not commit adultery is not a matter of complicated biblical interpretation, right? This Christian preacher says, it is okay for you to date other women. You should divorce her first just to clean it up and to make it right with the Lord. But it's okay for you to date other women because, here's what the preacher said, because she's not there anymore. That is not just embarrassing. That is not just cruel. That is a rejection of the very gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a rejection of everything we know about our Lord Jesus. Now, she may not be there in some sense, right? She probably wouldn't know if her husband is having dinner with another woman. She probably wouldn't know if her husband divorced her. In that sense, maybe she's not there anymore. But to walk away from his wife, to whom this man has vowed his life before God and the church, that proclaims a different mystery. It proclaims a man who loves his own flesh, but not his bride. It proclaims a Jesus who refuses to carry a cross for his people. That's not just bad marriage advice. Church, that's a terrible gospel. And I do understand why a man would be tempted to walk away in that situation. She can't do anything for her husband anymore. There's no more sex. There's no more romance. No more partnership, companionship, conversation. There's none of that. So I can understand if that's all that marriage is. If that's all that marriage is, walk away. Church, that ain't all that marriage is. It's so much bigger than that. It's so much higher than that. Marriage proclaims God's faithful promises. When God's people fail him, he does not toss them aside. 
When God's people forget him or show themselves in any way to be ungrateful or unwilling or unworthy, he does not walk away. Our God appeals to the promises he's made to us. Our Lord Jesus Christ stood by his words. Our Lord stood by his high-maintenance, complaining, rebellious, unfaithful bride. He walked to the place of the skull. He willingly went to hell and back for his bride. He died for you, for us as a church. Marriage is intended by God to reflect that exact same love and faithfulness. It's not, it's not, I won't divorce you as long as I can live with you. That's not marriage. Marriage is the gospel. My wife, Carrie Ann, and I have never, ever, in nearly 34 years, uttered the word divorce. We promised three and a half decades ago the word divorce would never cross our lips. Now, I've seen it in her eyes a few times, okay? <laughs> Wives are tough, man. Wives remember stuff that hadn't even happened yet. I mean, <laughs> your spouse, listen, your spouse will never meet all of your expectations. And you will never completely measure up for your spouse. Your marriage is not perfect. Can I get an amen on that? Your marriage may not even be very good, but listen, the good news is that the cross of Christ is saving us, and the cross of Christ is saving your marriage. Your marriage is redeemed by the cross of Christ. Not one of us is a perfect spouse. Out of all of us who are married in here, all of us who've ever been married, all of us who will ever get married in this room, none of us is a perfect spouse. And we don't just marry each other. We marry into the other marriages in our spouse's families. You're aware of that, right? I mean, you, when you get married, you're marrying all of your spouse's flaws and personalities and baggage. You marry your spouse's memories and experiences. And you marry the other marriages in your spouse's family. Now, I grew up in a family that likes to converse and even disagree with great intensity and volume. My family is loud. I know that's hard for you to imagine this morning, but it's loud in my family. And that kind of competitive conversation that we engage in together, I actually find that not just invigorating, I find it comforting. And I find a sense of belonging in that when we're together. Now, my wife, Carrie Ann, she was not raised that way. She was raised in a house where when things got loud, it meant, it meant trouble and anger and abandonment and sometimes abuse. And so Carrie Ann does not find comfort in the volume and the intensity of my family. In fact, she finds another room. <laughs> and we've had disagreements. We've had arguments, not just about our own personalities, but about the personalities of the people in our families. And I'll confess something else, okay? I, this is a safe space, right? Can I do this? Okay. Um, <laughs> it is hard for, you're going to say, a preacher's not supposed to say this. It is hard for me to just pray to God with just Carrie Ann. Isn't that weird? That's weird, isn't it? Like I can pray in a room of a 
thousand people. I can pray in my small group, in my Bible class. I can pray with people in any setting, any setting, with my wife and my kids all the time, decades. I find it difficult to just pray to the Lord when it's just me and Carrie Ann and the Lord. And I think, I think it's because nobody on this planet knows me like she does. She knows all my flaws. She knows all my shortcomings. She knows my sins. She knows how I do not live up to the ideals that I expect out of myself and others. She knows all my hypocrisies. She knows all that stuff. And for me to try to pray to the Lord with her, if she knows all that about me, I feel exposed kind of. Is that Maybe that's the right word, but embarrassed even sometimes. Sometimes it's even painful because she knows. She knows me. Church, we bring all of everything we have into our marriages. The good, the bad, and the you're not going to find out about this until after we've got three kids, two jobs, and a mortgage kind of stuff. Which means we don't have perfect marriages. Nobody. There is no perfect marriage. They're all broken, all of them. And part of the glorious mystery of what God is doing through Christ is that he is saving our marriages too. He is redeeming what's wrong in our marriages. He is forgiving and restoring and repairing and making right at the cross. He is covering your marriage with his sacrificial love and his faithful promises at the cross. 2 Corinthians 1 says, no matter how many promises God has made, they are all yes in Christ Jesus. Jesus offered his perfect sinless life as a sacrifice on the cross. And he has forever reversed the curses of sin and death in his resurrection. And today, our Lord Jesus sits with all power and with all authority at the right hand of God forever. And he proclaims for all of eternity and all of the universe to hear, here am I and all of you with me. From Hebrews chapter 2, listen to this. Verse 11, both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. Same family. Verse 13, Jesus says, here am I and the children God has given me. Here am I and the husbands and wives God has given me. Here am I, Jesus says, and the marriages God has given me. Our marriages are saved in Christ. His story is now our story. His bloodline is now our bloodline. His inheritance now belongs to us as our inheritance. His family is our family. And our family tree is the cross of Jesus Christ. Our marriages, church, are not lived and shaped by the Instagram moments and the Facebook posts. The mysterious one flesh unity of a husband and wife in a marriage that communicates the gospel of Jesus. That's, that's only going to happen when we stop expecting marriages to meet all of our needs and we start seeing marriage as an expression of our salvation in Jesus when we decide to carry his cross together by God's sacrificial love and by his faithful promises. Amen.
God bless our marriages. Let's ask God to bless our marriages. Will y'all trust me on this? Let's do this, okay? Man, I've been thinking about this all week, and I've even talked to people. This is going to work. This is going to work by God's grace. Lord, be with us. Uh, I would like, if you're married, I'd like you to keep your seat. If you're married, stay seated. If you're single, unless you're singing, Jerry, come on up. If you're single, like single because you want to be or single because you don't want to be, if you've been married and you're not, if you're uh, not married yet because you're too young or just you just haven't married, again, by choice or not, would you please stand? And all the married people stay seated. All right, we're praying for marriages, okay? What I'd like you to do, you folks who are standing, get to where you can put your hands on the shoulder of somebody who's married. Move to where you can do that. If you don't want to move towards somebody who's married, just put your hands in the air as we pray and maybe direct your hands toward them. Kind of a physical way to, uh, to move the grace of God over our marriages. Thank you all for doing this. Let's, let's pray together. Father, those of us who are married in this church family, we confess to you right now that there are times when it is the greatest blessing we could ever experience from your grace. And our hearts explode today with thanksgiving and gratitude. And God, we confess there are other times when it's so hard. And Father, our marriages are under attack from outside and from within our own hang-ups and our own baggage. And Father, the enemy through the world and through our culture just attacking us. Father, I, I believe with all my heart that the reason marriages are under attack and the reason they are so difficult is because they do reflect your gospel. Satan doesn't want that communicated to anybody. The grace and the love and the promises. So, Father, we ask you in the name of Jesus this morning, would you please bless our marriages? God, bless us with more and deeper love for one another. Bless us with more and deeper faith in the vows that we've made to one another and to you. And, God, would our marriages reflect your glory? Would they communicate your salvation that we are one in Christ, all of us together. Give us strength. Give us hope. Give us endurance. And God, give us happy and healthy marriages that make us more like your son Jesus and that point to him as the way and the truth and the life. In the name of Jesus Christ, all of God's people say together, amen. Amen, amen church. Stand with me, please. Everybody, let's sing together.